0: In this episode of Yuketropolis, why you should practice with your eyes closed, some simple music theory I wish I'd known a lot sooner. And did you know there are only two ways to create chord melody arrangements on an ukulele? I'll show you what they are with audio examples. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Uketropolis podcast where we answer questions about learning ukulele. These are real questions posted by students on uketropolis.com and that's where you can find a library of unique ukulele courses including Ready Steady Ukulele, Booster Uke and The Ukulele Way. I'm your host, James Hill. Today I've picked out three questions from students on Yuketropolis, and they're all from The Ukulele Way, book two. In case you don't know, The Ukulele Way is a six-level method that is completely devoted to one thing, and that is chord melody. The art and science of playing the melody, harmony, and rhythm all at the same time on one instrument. Something like this. (laughs) How do we do that? How do we juggle all those parts at the same time, the picking, the strumming, and make it all work together seamlessly? I was first intrigued by this style when I heard people like Chalmers Doan, my teacher Jamie Thomas, uh, who taught me one of my first uh, chord melody pieces, uh, people like Roy Smeck, and Eddie Bush. I remember going to an Eddie Bush concert and being just mesmerized by his style of chord melody playing. He was a wonderful Hawaiian ukulele player and entertainer. I came home from that concert, sat on the couch and said to myself, I'm not getting up off this couch until I understand how you do that. How do you juggle the melody and the chords and the rhythm? And... You know, I sat there for a long time. I did learn a couple of things, but really this has been a lifelong journey of exploration and discovery, and that's why I wrote The Ukulele Way. So if you're curious about this style, you have a nice sequential method to take you through it. So the first question comes to us from Barbara, and she's working on Lesson 5. That's the Carnival of Venice. Fun piece to play. And she says... When playing a song like this, I often find myself playing one string off on my right or left hand because I'm looking at the music. Do you have any suggestions for how not to get lost like this? And what she's talking about is sometimes beginners are so focused on looking at the music. Has this ever happened to you where you're actually fretting one string and picking a different string? it's really kind of a, a mismatch, a misfire. And the, the, your, the left hand literally doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It's because you're so focused on learning new skills and learning new repertoire. So yes, this happens all the time. Don't feel like you're uh, the odd one out if this happens to you. you know, Barbara, this is is a great question. Um, it, it sounds a little bit odd, but there's one thing that I like to do in my own practice to work on coordination and to work on getting back in the zone and trusting my ears. And that is, very simply, just practice with your eyes closed. I know it sounds maybe a little silly or you think, well, is that really going to help? But if you memorize just a little a little bit of this piece, maybe just one or two measures, and then you play that part maybe 10 times in a row with your eyes shut, what's gonna happen is that you'll just hear and feel things in a new way. I guarantee it. It's, it's the same way that when you're in a dark room you know, and you can't see anything, your other senses take over and your hearing becomes super acute. It's the same thing if you just turn off the visual and get back to trusting your ears, I think you're gonna find it works. If you're a Star Wars fan, those of you out there, Star Wars fans, you remember the scene in Star Wars where, you know, Obi-Wan is training Luke and Luke can't quite get it. And, you know, he's working with a lightsaber and and then finally Obi-Wan puts that shield down over his face and, and Luke sort of complains and says, how am I supposed to do this you know, with my eyes shut uh, when I couldn't even do it with my eyes open? And Obi-Wan says something like, you know, trust your trust your feelings or something like that. It, You know, it's sort of the same thing. Of course, Luke then succeeds at the task. And the point is, you know, I guess looking can be deceiving. So try it. See if it works for you. Our next question comes to us from Catherine, who's working on lesson seven, the Carnival of Venice. That's right, also Carnival of Venice. There are two arrangements of this same piece in the ukulele way level two. So why? Well, the reason is because students are learning that there are two sides to the chord melody coin. What I mean is there are two and only two ways of arranging pieces for solo ukulele. One is called interlaced, and the other way is called synchronous. I know it sounds kind of jargony, but really the good news is that there are only these two ways of arranging. And if you master both of them, interlaced and synchronous, then the musical world is your oyster. And so very quickly here, let me show you what I mean by interlaced and synchronous. Interlaced is where you just take the notes of the melody. You find the gaps in the melody and you fill those gaps with either a chord or a note, something like this. and that's all there is to it. I'm finding the gaps and I'm filling the gaps. So that's style number one. Style number two is really the only other way that it can possibly go and that is where you play the chords right on the same beat as the melody note and that would sound like this. Now, that's called synchronous, and it requires quite a different toolkit you know, for, for that to work. The good news is, if you master those two approaches, you've got it all. There isn't anything more to it, at least conceptually, than that. So that's why in the ukulele way, we spend time often by um, playing one piece in two different styles in order to understand the difference between interlaced and synchronous, the ins and outs of these two sides to the chord melody coin. So Catherine asks, um, she says, I'm really enjoying your ukulele series. Any info on music theory is appreciated. Somewhere, she says, about 10 seconds into your explanation on why chords are marked C when they're really C6 or Csus4, she says, my brain just shut down. Well, this is a great question, Catherine. And first of all, I just want to say that on the Ukulele Way, we do have a thing called the Navigator. And the Navigator is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a tool to help you find the lessons that are most interesting to you, the ones that align with your goals and your interests. So if you go to your courses and then click on any one of the Ukulele Way books, you'll see on the right-hand side, you'll see a little link to the navigator. And so click on that, and you'll see there um, six learning pathways. And one of those pathways is music theory. And what that does is it highlights all the lessons over the course of the six levels of the ukulele way. It highlights the lessons that really speak to music theory. There are other pathways that you can follow. There's one called um, There's one for folk music. There's one for blues and jazz. There's one for um, mellow melodies, which I really like. There's a number of different ways you can navigate through these lessons. And the good news is that when you get all the way through one pathway, you could go back to the beginning and try another pathway. These are just ways of highlighting lessons that are most likely to be to your taste. So, First thing I would say is check out the music theory pathway in the navigator. The other thing I want to zero in on in this question is where Catherine says, Why are some chords marked C, for example, when if if you look closely, they're actually C six or they might be C sus four. You know, why is that? Isn't that a mistake or a typo, or at very least it's misleading? Why do you make the label sort of simple when the chord might be more complex? The answer to that is, I made a decision early on when I was writing the ukulele way to always indicate the underlying harmony of the moment. The underlying harmony. Because if I were to include all of the melody notes um, in the chord name, it would start to get really messy. For example, that first chord in Carnival of Venice is all the open strings. That's because it's a C chord and the melody just happens to be an A. So when you put them together, you get a C6. But in the sheet music, I haven't indicated C6. I've just indicated C because that is the harmony of the moment, the underlying harmony. The next moment, that chord right there, the one that I stopped on. As Catherine rightly points out, that's a C sus4, but it's still marked as a C in the uh, in the sheet music. The the chord diagram is given that shows you the exact placement of the fingers, but the chord name is shown as C because it's the underlying harmony. And although that might seem a little counterintuitive and maybe misleading, honestly, if I were to go through and write in every little extension and uh, melodic extra that's happening, suspension uh, or additional note, and then somehow incorporate all of those into the chord names. The, the sheet music would just end up looking like, uh, you know, Einstein's blackboard. It would be so complicated and intimidating looking. So that's something that is consistent all the way through the ukulele way. It's kind of the house style. It's the way I've decided to do things, and I think it makes things more clear for students. And it certainly. Uh, helps them to see the, the bigger sort of tectonic plates of the music. They don't get so caught up in every individual chord, but rather seeing areas of harmony as they go by. So I hope that helps, Catherine, and thanks for the great question. Our final question comes to us from Catherine once again, but this is a different Catherine. Uh, She's working on lesson three, which is called Interlaced and Synchronous Arranging, something we've talked about already. And Catherine's question is, how do you choose which note to insert when you're interlacing a melody? In other words, when I find the gaps, as we talked about earlier, and I go to fill those gaps with notes, how do you choose which note to use? Now this is really a big question and uh, it, it's, a, it's a complex question that I'm going to try to give you a simple answer for. That's usually kind of a bad idea because complicated questions sometimes deserve complicated answers. But here, here goes. Here's my simple answer. The simple answer is that I really wish in school that they would teach us to count by twos through the alphabet, to count by two through the alphabet. You know, you go into your math class for the first time, or, you know, grade one, grade two, they always teach you how to count by ones. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And they always teach you how to say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. No problem. The, the strange thing is when you go back a couple of weeks later, they start teaching you how to count by twos in numbers. two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? I mean, that's something that we just learned by rote through school. But for some reason, they don't teach you how to do that with the alphabet. It's still A, B, C, D, E, F, G. All the way through, they never teach you how to leapfrog through the alphabet. And you know what? If the world was run by musicians, they would. Because it would give you a really handy way of quickly saying what what uh, notes are in the given chord, because if you can say A C E G, and remember the musical alphabet is only that long so it starts again, G B D F, if you can just say that and learn to say that by rote A C E G B D F A C E, and it just repeats over and over again like a cycle. If you can do that, then you can say, very quickly, what notes are part of a chord. For example, um, what, what notes are in the chord F? Well, I just start that sequence on F, F, A, C. What are the notes in the C chord? C, E, G. I know how to count by twos through the alphabet, and that allows me to just say off the cuff which Uh, note names are in a given chord. That would be really handy to know. And in fact, most of us in music did learn how to do that. We just learned how to do it in a really cumbersome way. We learned that on the staff we have um, spaces and lines. And the spaces are F, A, C, E. And we learned that that spells face. And then we learned separately that the lines are E, G, B, D, and F. Face and EGBDF, or Every Good Boy Does Fine, something like that. And at no point in in my musical upbringing did anyone connect the two and say F-A-C-E-G-B-D-F. I would have really benefited from that. <laughs> it's a small thing, it seems like a small thing, but I always struggled to say what were the notes in a chord. I, I didn't know whether to think of a piano keyboard or visualize the, the staff. It would have been nice just to know it by rote, like G, B, D. Those are the notes in a G chord. F, A, C. Those are the notes in an F chord. C, E, G. Those are the notes in a C chord, and I can say it because I can say that sequence. I can skip through the alphabet. I can leapfrog through the alphabet, and just like that, I can spell chords. Amazing. So let me bring it back to the question. With all that we've talked about in mind, how do you choose which note to insert for an accompaniment? Well, you look at the harmony of the moment, and let's just say uh, it's a song like this. That's long, long ago. And I like that melody because it has big gaps in it. It's easy to fill those gaps with notes or chords. And in this case, the question would be, well, I know by looking at the sheet music that... F is the harmony of the moment all the way through that phrase. So what are my options for filler notes? Well, they're the notes of the F chord. And what are the notes of the F chord? I don't have to go to the piano. I don't have to look at the staff. I just know F-A-C because I can leapfrog through the alphabet. F-A-C. Done. Any one of those notes will work as a filler. Let's try, for example... Let's try the note A and see what that sounds like in this piece. Not bad. It works. Let's try the note C as our filler note. Not bad. I kind of like aspects of both. Usually what we end up doing is just following our intuition and using the chord tone that we feel sounds right at that moment. And it can change depending on what you feel sounds best. And that is sort of a crash course on how you choose which note to use as a filler when you're doing an interlaced arrangement of a melody, just like we're doing in book two of The Ukulele Way. Thank you for tuning in to the Yukatropolis podcast. Come back next week for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions from students at yukatropolis.com. That's where you'll find a whole library of unique online courses to help you get better at playing ukulele, whether you're a beginner, an intermediate, or an advanced player, or if you're a teacher looking for great resources and support. It's all at euketropolis.com. I'm your host, James Hill, and until next week, keep on strumming.